HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on the Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides. So you remember Mel, right? Remember Mel and his cousin Muriel, Mel and Muriel? Now, well, you might, but probably not unless you're a true Let's Get Real listener, devotee. Mel and Muriel are my neighbors up in tiny bungalow land, you know, my summer community where I spend most every weekend between April and October and where we, by the way, have eight adorable little houses for sale at the moment. And if you're interested, just contact me directly. But um, the reason you would know about Mel and Muriel is that I did an episode about them earlier in the summer that was entitled and Mel says that's because you're as slow as poop. Remember that ring any? Any bells? It was actually an episode about poop, or more precisely about real foods that help you poop and the foodiness foods that have been created to help you poop after eating a diet filled with junk food and foodiness. So, you know, the foodiness solution to the foodiness created problem, like Activia yogurt to combat the effects of the red velvet cake yogurt or the Red velvet cake flavored, pancake flavored, coffee creamer flavored yogurt dilemma. You remember that one, right? And remember that Mel and Muriel are first cousins mm-hmm, and that they each own their own bungalow. So don't get any ideas because this isn't Appalachia. It's Westchester County, New York. And although we do have a couple up there, this one couple who own a house and live in it together and really are cousins first or second i'm not sure but they're a couple but they're cousins it's kind of like down abbey but this isn't about them 
not about the married cousins. It's this is about well, this isn't even about Mel and Muriel, but sort of. Mel and Muriel are both retired teachers, and Mel is an older, sort of dignified gay gentleman, and Muriel is his old maid sister. Now that is not a term I would usually toss around so casually and insensitively, but if if you knew her, you, you'd get the picture. Now, obviously, with names like Mel and Muriel and being former New York City school teachers, they are white and obviously, of course, Jewish. Now, this is also in no way a racial or ethnic stereotyping or generalization. Well, actually, yeah, it is. But they are of a certain generation of middle class, first or second generation educated Jews who became teachers in the 60s and benefited well from the generous and early retirement options offered by the city of New York that were part of the plan to entice people to start teaching in the 60s in the first place when everybody white was moving out of New York and the public schools were tanking. You know, instead of going to medical school or law school or going into the family fur business like other Jews of that generation and they went into teaching. My father was actually an early member of that tribe and is now enjoying the benefits of his tier one retirement. If you're familiar with the system, you know what tier one means. It's pretty cush. Anyway, up a tiny bungalow land, almost the entire community there is white and mostly Jewish, but not everyone. I mean, Yes, the place was founded by Jewish garment worker communists from the Lower East Side in the early 1900s. So it skews that way and it doesn't exactly attract the, let's say, Sarah Palin crowd, which is fine by us. But we do have a smattering of Asians and a handful of Catholics and we even have one or two black people and even a nice Latina lady. See, so we're diverse. We're not exactly a Benetton catalog from the 90s, but, you know. We make an effort. We manage. Now, Mel, who is very social and hospitable and is very good friends with Ida. Remember Ida, my older lady friend? You know, my old lady best friend. Mel and Ida are friends. Now, I call him her gay boyfriend, which makes her hit me, but in a nice, loving way. Mel has a friend, his friend. I'm not really sure what their relationship is, whether they're partners or if there's anything or they're just friends. But he has a friend, and it's none of my business what their relationship is. But his friend is A, significantly younger than him, and B, black. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up at all, the only reason, I don't care what race he is, you can do whatever you want as far as I'm concerned. You could marry a frog if you wanted to. The only, and that's not a French slur or anything, okay? If you want to marry someone who's French, fine with me. The only reason that I'm bringing this up at all. The only reason I mention Mel's friend's race and the only reason I'm talking about Mel again at all is that this is a show about eggplant. Oh, wait a minute. Did I not mention that yet today? Oh, crap. Yeah, today on Let's Get Real, it's the eggplant show. Oh, and also it's a show about Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm, yep. Eggplant and Teddy Roosevelt today on Let's Get Real. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Eggplant and Teddy Roosevelt. We'll be right back.
This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Erica Wides. It's my show. Okay, so every year up at Tiny Bungalow Land Colony, uh, which, by the way, back in our commie past at Tiny Bungalow Land, we were called Followers of the Trail, but now it's very blandly called Reynolds Hills because during the McCarthy era of the Red Scare and blacklisting and race riots, the town, the local town thugs kept attacking and threatening the community with violence and those little academic Jews with their eyeglasses and socialist books and sewing machines got really spooked and freaked out. And so they changed the name and the identity of the community to avoid being burned down and lynched by the local townsfolk. So, yeah, right there in the suburbs of New York City. It was like the Deep South. But that's another story. So every year up at Tiny Bungalow Land, on Labor Day weekend, we have a community potluck dinner, which could also be fodder for an entire episode of this show in itself. Because as you can imagine, it's not exactly a bounteous buffet of delicious, homemade, home-baked, handcrafted, Jewish and non-Jewish lovingly prepared food. Oh no. It's more like someone will bring their half-eaten tub of hummus and someone else brings a box of Trader Joe's cookies and someone else brings like a pre-made salad from the supermarket. And then there's a few of us who actually make real food and cook and put effort into it. And so now they just order in a big giant pile of barbecue and we all just bring side dishes. And many of those side dishes that people bring are also just pre-made from places like Trader Joe's and BJ's to my disdain. So I always bring some kind of vegetable with lentils or beans or something like that. And Ida always bakes from scratch. And Mel also always makes something. But we are the minority the cooking minority. But this isn't a show about the Labor Day potluck either. It's a show about eggplant, remember? And Teddy Roosevelt, remember? And minorities, sort of. So the night of the community potluck, I had volunteered to help set up. And so I went down to the community social hall, which used to be called the casino, which I think is sort of funny. It's, you know, where the old people used to play cards. And now we just have meetings and dinners. So I went down to the social hall early in the evening because I was supposed to help set up. But basically when I got there, they were pretty much set up already and it was a hot night. So I went out onto the front steps of the building to get some air because it was a little bit cooler out there. And then Mel, who had also been helping, came outside after a few minutes to cool off. And we kind of stood there chatting because he had been helping too, you know, with the tables and the chairs and the flowers. And we stood there for a while cooling off because as I said, Labor Day was fairly warm this year. And Mel is looking off into the distance toward his house and he sees his friend, you know, the black one, coming down the path to the social hall, holding like a big rectangular Pyrex casserole dish. And Mel says, oh, good. 
here comes my eggplant. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a second and just let you think about that statement. Now, if you aren't from the New York area, it may have had no impact on you other than to think that Mel was happy to see his friend coming down the path with a hot pan full of bubbling baked eggplant parm, which was what Mel had made, being one of the few people there along with Ida and myself who actually know how to cook. But if you grew up here in New York or anywhere with a large population of Southern Italians, you may know that the term eggplant or moulignan, which is the Southern dialect way of saying melanzana, which is eggplant in Italian, is a horribly offensive racial slur and derogatory term for black people. I know this because I dated someone from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn many years ago, and his awful xenophobic provincial thuggish thuggish neighbors use the term freely to describe New York's black population. They even often just shortened it to moolies. Yeah. It's awful. And I'd never even bring the term up except that I don't think Mel had a clue about the irony of the situation. He didn't see it or get it or realize what he had just said. But I did. Oh, I did. And I had to use every single cell and fiber of my being and bite my tongue so hard it almost bled to not make a sarcastic comment about it. I mean, I had to really, really hold myself back in that moment with his very attractive, muscular, young black friend proudly walking down the path with a casserole dish and Mel announcing the arrival of his eggplant. I've never before had to exert such self-control. Ever. But I did. So I did say that this was a show about eggplant today, didn't I? Yes, I did. And not just eggplant as a derogatory racist term, but eggplant the actual vegetable or fruit, really. Although, really, it's the least fruity of all the fruits mistaken as vegetables. Now, being thrifty, as you know I am. I often buy eggplant when it's on sale because I love it and it's very versatile. Because eggplant is like a bulky vegetable that fills in for meat in many ways. Now, if you look at some of the world's great cuisines that all tend to be southern cuisines, the cuisines that are the great eggplant eaters, like southern Italy, how ironic since they love their eggplant, yet they also use it as a derisive racist term, or Greece or Morocco or Turkey or India, all the great eggplant-eating regions of the world, and I'm sorry if I left anyone out. No offense, it's not racist. They all have one thing in common. They're all in hot, sunny places, and not so much meat is eaten there. Mostly because the further south into Europe you go, historically, the poorer the people were, and of course, You know, North Africa and India certainly have their share of poverty, too. But none of them are great meat-eating countries the way that Northern and Central Europe were. Hot, arid, dry places aren't good for raising grass, so they're not good for raising cattle. Now, of course, they're all places where people eat lots of lamb and goat and sheep, but those guys will just graze on anything. You don't have to grow grass for them. But the eggplant, to me, is the universal stand-in for slabs of beef. It's the vegetable equivalent of meat. It's meaty. It's delicious. Well, not to everyone, but to me. That's my show. And it's big and bulky, so you can feed lots of mouths in that big Catholic family in southern Italy or Muslim in North Africa. Not racist generalizations, just facts. So... 
my favorite discount produce store here in Brooklyn called Rossman Farms. I'll give him a little plug. Even though the guy who owns it, I think, is kind of a douche. But it's a good store. It's out in Sunset Park. I shop there basically weekly for my produce. They had gigantic, shiny purple eggplants on sale last week. Huge for 59 cents a pound. 59 cents. Nothing has been 59 cents a pound anywhere since I was in junior high school. What's 59 cents a pound? Nothing. 59 cents a pound. And as much as I'm supposed to be spouting the loyal party line about local and sustainable and farmers markets and all that, you know, being one of the original Heritage Radio Network hosts and all and, you know, being a chef type and all that. I'm supposed to be espousing that philosophy. But you know what? The eggplant at the farmer's market this week was two ninety nine a pound. Now, I'm not exactly raking it in these days as a consultant and as a voiceover and commercial actor. So I have to keep it thrifty. And 59 cent eggplant was calling my name, calling to me. So I bought three gigantic ones. They were bigger than American footballs. And I say American footballs because it's American football, okay? It's nothing against football. No racial or ethnic generalizations are being made. They were huge. And so I took the first one home. I made baba ganoush from that. And we ate baba ganoush and za'atar bread. Mm, Delicious. And then I sliced up the other two and I grilled them up a tiny bungalow. And of course, we couldn't get through all of that. So I brought it all home and then I chopped those up and then I stewed that down with other grilled leftover zucchini and peppers and some tomatoes. And I made what is known affectionately and commonly in my home as gloop. I'm sure I've talked about gloop before, but gloop is a version of sort of ratatouille or caponata. And we gloop a lot in my house when eggplant and zucchini and peppers are at a reasonable price. We'll load up on them and we gloop it down. And this time of year, we're in gloop season. So I glooped the rest of it down. And now I've probably gotten about six meals out of those tre melanzani that I bought at my discount produce store. And it was like eggplant Christmas in September. Here came my eggplant. Indeed. (laughs) We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with Eggplant and Teddy Roosevelt. We're proud to present the Silver Snail, 25 years of slow food, hosted by Slow Food USA, Heritage Radio Network, and Roberta's Pizza. It's been 25 years since Carlo Petrini and a group of activists launched a peaceful revolution to defend regional traditions, good food, gastronomic pleasure, and a slow pace of life. The slow food movement has since evolved into a comprehensive approach to food that recognizes the strong connections between plate, planet, people, politics, and culture. Today, this movement involves thousands of projects and millions of people in more than 160 countries worldwide. Join us on Friday, October 3rd from 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. for a dialogue between Slow Foods founder Carlo Petrini and Locavore activist Alice Waters as they reflect on the evolution of food and all things slow. That's at Roberta's Friday, October 3rd, 11.30 to 2.30. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. With me, your host and friend, Erica Weitz. 
Now, a couple things I always like to point out. One is that you're a fan of Let's Get Real. Well, if you are, of course you are. You should follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. That is my Twitter handle. Also, Let's Get Real is on Facebook. You can find us on there. I also have a website, letsgetrealshow.com, where you can check out some videos and read some things I've written and my funny little vlog about my show and also listen to past episodes. But if you really want to go to the mothership, you can also check out heritageradionetwork.org where everybody's show is archived forever. And there are literally thousands of them now. It's been five years. That is a lot of content. Hours and hours of content, or you can go to iTunes. They're all there too. And thank you to the nice gentleman who emailed me this week to point out that my shows were not quite in numerical order. We're working on it. Jack's on it. Thanks for pointing that out to us. We appreciate it. Anyway, where does Teddy Roosevelt fit into all of this? I know you're wondering. I know you've been waiting for the past 20 minutes. Where? How is she going to spin Teddy Roosevelt into this? She weaves together some crazy, crazy quilts on this. Well, you don't weave quilts. Crazy, crazy woven textiles, tapestry. How is she going to do it? Well, I mean, come on. Don't you see the obvious connection? Teddy Roosevelt, eggplant. Have I not given you enough hints yet? It's so obvious. Come on. Now? Hmm? Okay, I'll break it down for you. I was a teacher. I know how. Now, along with my thriftiness, one of my favorite subjects to talk about, that guides my food shopping. Within the umbrella of that thriftiness, probably an umbrella with a broken spine, or whatever those arms are called, rib, rib. Under that umbrella, I also refuse to pay for television. My position is, and I'm, I'm talking about cable here, not like buying a TV, because my position is if I have to watch your advertising, then you don't get my money. Why should I pay you to watch your advertising, right? You don't get my money. Because when cable TV first dawned on the horizon of the mid-70s when I was a child, the promise of cable was that if you paid for your monthly cable, you'd get to watch ad-free programming. Yeah, that's what they said originally, that cable would be ad-free, and that was why you'd pay for it. Now, that, of course, wasn't enough to entice my pathologically cheap parents into subscribing, and somewhere I'm hearing acorns falling off an oak tree, sadly. But they wouldn't do it. And so I would have to go to a friend's house to watch MTV back in the first few years of MTV when it was really good and filled with creative music videos and it was like a totally new thing and very exciting. And while I have had cable at various times in the past, I have paid for it, I'm still mad about that broken promise and now I refuse to pay for it again. Now luckily now there's Apple TV and Netflix and the internet, so haha, cable, screw you, you lose, sucks for you, we win. But actually what I watch is a lot of PBS with the PBS app or actually on my TV. And on Sunday, the Ken Burns seven-part documentary, The Roosevelts, began airing. It's a seven-hour documentary. That guy must have so many interns because how else could you produce that? Seven parts. And it's about TR and FDR and ER and not the ER with Noah Wiley, Eleanor 
Roosevelt, that ER, and TR, Theodore, and FDR, Franklin Delano. And did you know that along with being thrifty, I also love the Roosevelts. Love them. Love them. All of them. I'm a little bit of a Rooseveltophile. When I was a kid, we used to visit Sagamore Hill, which was Teddy Roosevelt's house in Oyster Bay, Long Island. And I loved that place. And I love FDR's house up in Hyde Park, New York. And I loved Eleanor's warbly, goofy voice in recordings of her. And I loved her commitment to social causes. And I loved the New Deal. And I loved the WPA. And I loved the National Park System. Everything Roosevelt-born. And I love that they came from great privilege and high society, but they were committed to the cause of lifting everybody up in life, not just their own elite, like certain people now. And I am a true Roosevelt Democrat, and it may be unrealistic and outdated now, but that's who I am. Now, my sister went to Sarah Lawrence College, and one of her professors in the 80s was Frank Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt III. Amazing, right? So I have a six degrees of separation thing with the Roosevelts. And my sister loves them too. And so much that she and her daughter named their little dog, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt Chambers, in his honor. Maybe I'll put a picture of him up on the Let's Get Real Facebook page today. So last night I'm watching part two of the Roosevelts. And it's all about Theodore T.R.'s breaking up of the industrial and railroad monopolies that controlled the U.S. at the turn of the century. That would be the last century, 1900, not 2000. That's the real turn of the century. Because the entire industrialized engine of the country at that time was controlled by just a few rich guys, including Jay Gould and the Rockefellers and J.P. Morgan and Andrew Carnegie. Oh, kind of like today with the Koch brothers and Monsanto. Hmm. That's another episode. But Teddy, even though he was one of them financially and socially, was completely opposed to the way that they were controlling the entire industrial food supply chain, everything in the country. And so he went in and he busted up those monopolies and he created antitrust laws and he ultimately made things much, much better for the millions and millions of blue collar workers who had basically been enslaved by those corporations until then. Yay, Teddy. See, he also rooted out corruption in New York when he was working in New York and in the federal government offices, exposing the longstanding old boy crony system that had run things until he came along. Mm -hmm. Now, he also did a few really bad things, like, uh, I can't even, something about these black soldiers, and it was terrible and really bad. And also in Cuba, he kind of bungled all that. But we won't talk about that here, because you know what? He also created the national park system. See? So that's great, right? Then a few decades later, his cousin, his fifth cousin, FDR, came along. And FDR pulled us through the Depression by creating the WPA and the New Deal and so much more than that. So what's the connection with eggplant? Well, as I was watching last night and the night before, I was dining on leftover eggplant gloop. Because, yes, I eat dinner in front of the TV. I'm an American. That's what we do. And I was thinking about this week's show and starting to have my usual Sunday night panic about it because I didn't have a topic or a theme yet. And usually it just kind of comes to me at some point Sunday or Monday and then Tuesday morning I sit down and I write it. But then as usual, it did come to me. Eggplant. Eggplant. It was right there in the bowl in front of me. Eggplant, I realized, like, a, like an eggplant-shaped light bulb going off over my head, Eggplant may very well be the only 
uncorrupted, non-foodiness-ized food we have left. I couldn't think of a single eggplant foodiness product or foodiness corruption of eggplant that's occurred. And I also couldn't think about any other food that hasn't been foodiness-ized. Think about it. Now, it's probably because people either love or hate eggplant and probably more air on the hate. Not me, not Ida, not Mel. And, you know, it can be bitter and watery and mushy if you don't know how to cook it, which is to say you cook the shit out of it so it caramelizes and collapses and that it's delicious. But there's no eggplant foodiness. There's other vegetable foodiness. There's pirate's booty and potato starch-based extruded vegetable chips and puffs and fried spongy nasty zucchini sticks in dumpy bars and TGI Fridays with their spinach dip and V8 so-called vegetable juice, which is really all just carrot and tomato juice and all sugar and all kinds of bastardized, corrupt, and dishonest vegetable foodiness, but not with eggplant. And then it dawned on me. Eggplant is the Theodore Roosevelt of vegetables. It's uncorruptible, stalwart, true to itself and its principles. You can't break its will, and they couldn't break TR's fight. Bully to that, as he would say. So that's why the show this week is about eggplant and Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) I bet you never saw that one coming, huh? Right? Good one, huh? So until next week since we're running out of time. If you don't want to eat corruptible vegetable shit and you've become really cynical and disillusioned about politics and are just dreaming, like me, of a new New Deal, which we thought was coming with Obama but has turned out to be quite the disappointment, but I'm not sure it's really his fault because of Congress, then I think you should just keep on listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network because we have the answers. Stay with us. We'll guide you in the right direction. We can create that new, new deal together. Until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>